How many of you know what a mugwomp is? Have you ever heard that term? Anybody? You've got your mug on one side of the fence and your womp on the other. You're a fence sitter. It's an old term. It's an older American term, right? Um, depends kind of on where you were raised and, and uh, how often you've heard that. Um, and, how old, and, and how much your parents use that language. You're correct. <laughs> I, um, I think a mugwomp, we, we have lots of places in our lives where we have to make decisions. I, and, and sometimes the decisions really matter and sometimes they don't. And sometimes it's okay to be a fence sitter and sometimes it's not. Sometimes we're forced to take stands and other times we're not. I just want to get into this one example of one of the places where it doesn't matter that much. You can go and give. I explained this in the first service. I drive a blue car, right? And those of you that have seen me drive it know that I drive a blue car. I really wanted the white one. But Karen wanted the blue one. And so I gave way. It's okay to be on the fence and sort of go the other way on some decisions, but there's other decisions. And one of them that's coming that I want to talk about today is what do we do in that moment of visitation that when Jesus comes to us and does that and takes care of it? I got it, right? When a moment of visitation, when Jesus is nearby and is asking you to do something, asking you to make a decision, asking you to attend to some issue. Now, those could be big issues. Those could be little issues. Those because Jesus is involved, and we all do that. But I just want to get into that and and let you know where I was heading before I read Luke twenty one through nineteen. I just want to talk to you about. This, let's see. So one day, as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and the elders came up to him, and they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? And now, I'll take a break every so often in this reading just to explain. Look, the, the leaders in the temple are supposed to be testing and making sure that only some people are, te- are, are gathering people in the temple. That's their job. Okay? Do you understand that? That if, that if uh, somebody comes up and, and they ask us if they can run a program in the church, you would expect the leaders of the church to make a decision based on who they are and what's, what's right. So that's their job. It's also part of the rabbinical tradition, the rabbis talking to one another, that one rabbi would be teaching and another would come up and ask questions and the other one would ask questions and then the crowd could get all excited because these two rabbis are going at it theologically and they get to see it. This is not exactly what's going on here, but it is in that tradition. I just want you to know that outright. Let me ask you a question first, he replied. Did John's baptize, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us because they are convinced John was a prophet. So they finally replied, they didn't know. Mugwumps. 
right? We're going to ride the fence. They've calculated a spot that they need to know about. Now, when they went out to see John, do you remember what John's response was to them? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Right? Because those that aren't interested don't get warned. That's the way that is. But stoning, stoning is the penalty given for what in the Old Testament? What's the Old Testament penalty? Well, adultery, but blasphemy is the one here, that if you're a blasphemer, they would stone you. And so they say this, if we say that John's baptism was nothing, we'll be stoned for blasphemy. They're recognizing the authority of John in some ways what will happen. Jesus then responded to them, then I won't tell you by what authority I do all things. The kingdom of God doesn't come by calculating things out, right? Do you understand what this means? It doesn't come by close examination. Well, if I do acts, then this is going to happen. I'm going to make Jesus happen if I do these three items on my checklist, and that'll be enough for God, and I won't have to mess with the other things because he's not interested in that. I'll just do the bare minimum. I used this example in the first, in the first uh, service. Um, how many of you have ever had the flu? then you have calculated and bargained with God. Have you not? Please, God, if you make this stop, I'll do X. (laughs) Yeah, is that exactly right? If you've had the flu, you've calculated a response. If, 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 If you do this, then I'll do this. But that is a transactionary requirement that requires God to do something because we've asked and then we're going to make the payment. Is that the way a life of faith is based? No, it is not. Um, That that was a good comment. Say it again. I heard that and I I want to bring that up. It didn't work. (laughs) Thank you for saying it again. Now you know I'm listening, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't work to calculate with God. And we all do this, but that is not the way that the kingdom of God comes to life in our, in, uh, inside of us. It just doesn't happen that way. There's more. Let's go on. Now Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. A man planted a vineyard leased it to tenant farmers, and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crops. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up, and sent him away back empty-handed. So the owner sent another servant, but they also insulted him, beat him up, and sent him away empty-handed. A third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. What will I do, the owner asked himself. I know I'll send my cherished son. Surely they will respect him. But the tenant farmers saw his son and they said to each other, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. Just, just, just a little side note. 
Is that the way property transactions happens? If you kill the heir of the family, do you get to inherit? No, that is, that is just bad thinking, right? Some people, I've heard this line, stinking thinking, right? It just doesn't work that way. If you kill the heir, nothing good is going to come to you through that. They're going to make sure you're not the one. In our country, if you, if you kill somebody and you write a book, they keep you from making any money off of it in the same way. Bad thinking often brings us to bad spots in our lives, and the humans often have bad thinking. Raise your hand if you've ever thought something that was just completely wrong. No, I'm kidding. Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Okay. I've done things that I thought, man, that makes perfect sense to me and then later paid a price for it because it was bad thinking. This is one of those moments. So they killed him, dragged him out to the vineyard, and murdered him. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them? Jesus asked. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyards to others. Now my verse here at the end of verse 16 says, how terrible that such a thing should ever happen, the listeners protested. This is not nearly strong enough for the Greek. It is, no, not ever. You can almost see them tearing their clothes and beating their breasts, which is part of the tradition of their country, right? That when something so evil is happening, they would go, no. Do you know why it's that way? Let me, list, let me read something for you. This is from Isaiah 5. This is part of the founding moment of, our, of their country. In our country, if I were to say it this way, if I were to say four score and seven years ago today, what am I talking about? The Gettysburg Address. What's the Gettysburg Address talking about? Well, four score and seven years before the Gettysburg Address was the Revolutionary War. And he's calling upon the founding moment of the country to say, look, our founders set us on a specific road and we need to make a course correction here. That's what's going on. Right? And so this, if you will, Jesus is doing that four score talk with them in the temple just before the crucifixion. Because listen to this. This is how they viewed themselves because they used Isaiah 5 this way. Let me sing for my beloved my song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines, and he built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a, wall, a wine vat in it. By the way, Israel, the watchtower in the middle is Jerusalem. They would call it that, the watchtower. It's up on a hill. You can't get there except you go up the hill sees everything. And he looked to it to yield grapes, but it yielded only wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, O men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not already done for it? When I looked to it for grapes, it yielded only wild grapes. And now I tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled down. 
if this is your founding moment that you believe that you're in a vineyard that God hewed out for you and put you there so that you could prosper, remember this, that it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a place the Lord set aside for us. Let's begin to think of this thing. They talked about a vineyard. They they were in God's vineyard. They thought, though, that instead of being the renters, they thought they were the children, the heirs. So when we go back to this story in Luke, there's some story here that makes perfect sense to them, and there's some pokes at them that they are deeply bothered by. Do you remember this? Let's see. So he planted a vineyard and leased it to tenant farmers. Well, tenant farmers are not the children. They're not the heir. When he sends the heir, they go, (gasps) and they have some stinking thinking. How terrible that such a thing should ever happen, the listeners protested. Jesus looked at them and said, then what does this scripture mean? And he brought in another one. This is from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls upon. The teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They were afraid of the people's reaction, though. Now, the Hebrews have another statement about pottery and how things get broken. They have this statement. I said it in Wednesday night Bible study, accidentally brought it in too early. It goes like this. The pot doesn't care whether it falls on the rock or the rock falls on it. So if you have a piece of pottery and there's a rock and you drop it, what happens to your piece of pottery? It breaks. If the pottery is on the ground and you have a rock, and you let it go, it breaks. Does the rock care where it is? Does the pottery care where it is? No, it's just broken. This is what's going on. Let's read Psalm 118, because I think this is another valuable little piece of information here for us. There's so much of this that they would have heard when, we, when, when you hear speakers and they're calling back to the things you've learned and all that. This is what's going on. Open the gates to me of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteousness shall enter through it. Does that have a sound of Palm Sunday to you? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You come down through the city gates and all this stuff. Well, there's more that brings that in there. So we're right on task. I thank you that you have answered me, that you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. God is my rock. God is my salvation. Uh, Psalm 40, verse 2, he lifts me out of the muck and the mire and puts me on the rock. He is the cornerstone from the altar, right? There's all these analogies of of the solidity of the rock and our need to have our feet upon it properly to recognize the moment of our visitation. 
This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes, continues Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So right in the middle of this stone the builders rejected, right in the middle of all the imagery of Palm Sunday where he comes down in there in the triumphal entry of Israel, and right in the middle of that is he's coming down into the vineyard of the Lord, and the sun is coming, and he's teaching in the temple. Is the temple blessing him from the house of the Lord? Or are they testing him? Are they, they saying, ooh, we don't want you, we are arresting you. For us, will we recognize the moment of our visitation? What does it mean to have an hour of visitation for the Lord is near at our hearts? Well, it doesn't just happen the one time and then you say, well, I love Jesus, or yes, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior because he comes and you feel his presence in your life. It happens all over the place in your life. A life of faith means a life of visitations in certain times where you know he is near, where he is coming. Those of you who have believed in Jesus for a long time, have you felt his presence more than one time in your life where he's calling you to change your life just a little bit here or there? Sometimes it's great big massive changes. Sometimes it's turned left at the next corner. Will you recognize the moment of your visitation? You're going to be a mugwomp. You're going to sit with your womp on one side of the fence and your mug on the other and go, well, you know, it doesn't really make much sense. I know that God told me to turn left here, but I don't want to. I don't want to. Right? That, I mean, I can almost hear that coming out of my own head. Can you hear that coming out of your head? the moment of your visitation. There are some decisions where whether it's a blue or white isn't really that big of a deal and it's not worth getting them fight over. But there are other decisions that right then at that moment, a decision is called for. By whose authority are you doing this? Well, John's baptism. Was it from God? Did God call John to preach, make the way for the Lord? Well, the thing that Jews kind of forgot was is that the John, the verses that called for John the Baptist to come were so specific that literally it was saying, I'm going to send somebody to prepare you ahead of me because if you don't get prepared, you won't be ready and I'll have to destroy you. That's the verses for John the Baptist. Behold, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord because he was going to come and he was going to be a launderer's soap. He was going to change everything and he was going to clean you. And if you weren't ready, it wasn't going to go well. So now let's talk about John the Baptist. Was his baptism from God or not? Because if you said, well, you know, maybe not. Maybe you were part of the brood of vipers. Maybe I was part of the brood of vipers. Maybe I still am. I, I, I hope I'm not. 
you brood of vipers who, who warned you to flee the coming destruction. The moment of visitation was when the voice of the Lord is calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Let him move into your heart. Let him start to clean up the places that you recognize. There's the old example of my heart's God's home. How many of you know that thing where you invite Jesus into your living room and he sits there and he's, he's your friend and you're kind of getting to know him a little bit and, and then suddenly he starts straightening up the magazines and you say, you, you don't know. And he goes, well, you're not going to let me live with you. Out I go. Because we do get to know him a little bit. How many of you would suffer Jesus to, to wander into your kitchen and help you do dishes? Would you help him do the dishes? Those of you who raised your hand so fast. Have you read, have you read the book Practicing the Presence? It's a book about a monk who recognizes the presence of the Lord um, from the ninth century. He's talking about cleaning the dishes. Brother Lawrence, yes. Well, if he helps me to do the dishes, that's, a, that's kind of intrusive. I know that it's difficult for some people to let others clean and do that stuff around their house and all that, you know, when you're there and maybe they're friends and we can't do that. What about after you get the dishes all done, what about the closet in your life? Would you let him into that dark space that you don't let anybody see? Yeah. Do you understand that there's this moment of indecision, this moment of decision, this moment of your visitation? I think of the dark, deep spots in my life that I don't think anybody knows about, but I know that I don't even know about them right because I don't have complete knowledge of myself. I need his help. I need his help to clean those spots. There's a spot in my closet in the parsonage that gets kind of messy. Would I feel comfortable with him doing it with it? Well, it's got a couple of bricks and a board and my shoes get stored there. And when our cats are terrified, one of them goes under there and, you, and, and they just leave hair, right? Gobs and gobs of hair. Because that's what cats do when they're scared, right? Me too. What are the gobs and gobs of hair that I leave in my life? Will I notice this moment of visitation in, the, in, in my day? That, that the life lived with Jesus is a moment, is a lifetime, is, is not a sprint only, but also a marathon of visitation moments where we are called upon to submit different areas of our life deeper and deeper in love with Jesus we go, yes. Don't really like it, but yes. May we as individuals, may we as a church recognize the moment of our visitation. May we get off the fence in the spots we're supposed to get off the fence. There's a lot more to say today. I think I'm going to quit.